Welcome back to this person I met. This is our 10th episode, so thank you for all your continuous support. After our last interview with Mrs. Holton about her son's spider bifida, we hope to learn more about what science can or can't do to lessen the chance of or prevent birth defects. So, we turn to Maya's dad, Professor Fu, for some answers. But due to our severe lack of knowledge, the interview with Professor Fu was traumatizing to say the least. We were completely burned out trying to ask smart questions and trying not to ask stupid questions. But at the end, the answers we got were definitely worth the effort. So my name is Jinping Fu. I'm uh, currently a professor, a uh, faculty member uh, in the Department of Mechanical Engineering at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. Um, so I have been in Ann Arbor associated with the university since 2009. So the reason that we're interviewing you today is because our last interviewee was Ms. Hilton um, and her son had spina bifida. We've heard you've done research related to this disease and what we're trying to ask is, beyond this, what other things can science do? Hmm. Okay, you are right. In fact, uh, my current research activities are related to uh, this specific uh, neurotube defect. Neurotube defect is a group of disease. And spinal bifida is one of the neurotube defects somehow the posterior region, uh, the spinal cord region of the neurotube doesn't close properly. Mm -hmm. And there are no genetic mutations, right? The mutations in the DNA somehow people identify correlated with this neurotube defect. So obviously scientists are very interested to understand how genetic mutations can lead to neurotube defects. In fact, we already in fact accumulate all the information about the, uh, the, the catalog of all human genes in human cells. We have this knowledge, but how each gene they work and how they work together with other genes remain mysterious and especially I would say in this context it's also very mysterious how these genes function together during embryo development and but we also know that where pregnant women during pregnancy if they're exposed to certain say chemicals or medications and these two often time neurotube defects will somehow appear with higher possibility. And the, the type of research we conduct in my research group will allow us to understand better why certain disease can arise, either through genetic defects or mutations, or otherwise maybe the embryos of the pregnant woman, they are exposed to some toxic uh, agents. So our research is indeed uh, somewhat relevant to related to uh, spinal bifida. So how would you, for example, prevent like a birth defect that's genetic? Genetic disease, for example, and spinal bifida can be a genetic disease because there are no genetic mutations associated with this birth defect. After first trimester, and many of such birth defects can be detected using, for example, ultrasound or other maybe imaging tools. Once such birth defects are detected, doctors can perform surgery in the womb on the fetus, try to fix the, the, such problems as early as possible. They can perform surgery to maybe to promote 
than your tube to close. So is there any way to prevent the disease from like ever Happen? happening in the first place? <laughs> well, um, there are different genetic diseases. Some can be what we call inherited genetic disease, which means that the parents, they are already carrying some mutations. And such genetic mutations are inherited in the offspring. And for that, there are genetic screens allowing the parents to determine whether such mutations, they exist in the human embryo. If so, they can determine whether they want to continue the pregnancy or not. There are also what we call other mutations, much more random, happens um, uh, later. Uh, for example, cancer is associated with mutation. They are not inherited, and so it will be much more difficult to prevent such mutations. Professor Su's experiment made us curious about how these human stem cells are grown in the lab. We drifted from the cause of spina bifida to how the research was designed and developed, and some basic principles of conducting ethical studies. Um, so, kind of talking about embryos, do you think the embryos that you created in the lab, um, do you think they're life forms? First, they're not embryos. Or I would say we're not creating embryos in the lab. Or we don't even call them human embryos, because these are just human stem cells. Somehow, when they are cultured in a culture dish, in the lab setting, those are just some type of what we call multi-server structures, some type of structures containing different cell types and somehow the cells, they, they can organize themselves and into, I would say, structures. Somehow their dynamic behaviors mimicking, I would say, certain parts of the developing human embryo. In certain ways, I would say, relevant to embryonic development. So therefore, in, to a certain extent, we are hopeful that these models, they allow us to study human development without using intact natural human embryos. But obviously, I, I think you, you must understand, to understand human development, for example, to understand neurotube defects, and naturally it would be best to, to study human embryo or otherwise embryonic tissues directly. But there are a lot of ethical and technical constraints about working with such native natural human tissue samples. Yeah. Are there some things that the that you can't observe by what by like observing these stem cells? Like are there major differences from like an actual human embryo? Obviously there are a lot of key differences. I'm sure you understand that the human embryo contains many many different structures and cell types. There are many different cells. They work together, they form proper structure, form, and function. Eventually, right, the human embryo will develop and there are a lot of organs, tissues and organs organized properly and with proper function. But the structures we are generating, and oftentimes they're really just only a certain part of the human embryo, which means that they don't contain all the cell types, or otherwise all the cell tissues or organs existing in the natural human embryo. That's the reason we believe that the structures, the models we are generating in the lab, we don't think they're equivalent to human embryos, and uh, there are clear reasons for that. So you couldn't take those small, like only certain parts, like you couldn't make it living? Well, I would say potentially, the cells we're working on in the human embryo, in the natural environment, they have the potential to develop into a 
a whole human being, a whole human embryo. They do have the potential. But doesn't mean that when we work with the cells in a country dish, they will develop into a whole human embryo because it requires a lot of other, what we call signals, factors that promoting their differentiation and organization into in the in vivo setting. Even though they have the potential, but they still need a lot of more, a lot more signals and factors driving the cells to differentiate them into, I would say, human embryo. The human development naturally happens in, in, in the uterus, in the womb. And the environment we culture the cells in the lab, they're very different. They're very, very different. We still don't have the complete understanding about how to promote the stem cells in the dish to guide their development into many parts of the human being, the human embryo. Um, what factors would be needed? What factors would be needed? Well, um, there, there are going to be a lot of soluble factors. For example, what we call chemical factors, growth factors, promoting the stem cells to grow and divide. And also at the same time, also chemical factors can allow the cells to differentiate into different cell types. For example, in the human body, you can imagine that the muscle cells, they are very different from the cells lining, lining the gut tube. Or otherwise, the neurons in the brain, they are very different from the cells in, in the bone. So there are many, many different cell types in the human body. But all the cell types, they are generated from the same cell. The fertilize the egg. They, they turn them, uh, they eventually become what we call prepotent, some type of prepotent cells, epiblock cells. And these cells are the funding cell type for all the cells in the human body. So these are the cells we're working with in the lab. So is this like multicellular thing like not allowed to exist after a certain time period? Are you supposed to like get rid of it or something after a while? Well, um, obviously, from practical perspective, we do terminate all our experiments after a certain time because we don't need to culture them forever because after we finish the experiment, we terminate all our experiments because you continuously add different chemicals, soluble solutions to promote their growth and that costs money. So normally, after we finish the experiment, after we finish and we just stop the experiment, we'll kill the cells. So is there zero benefit to like continuing to promote the growth of the cells? I wouldn't say there's zero benefit, but oftentimes we want to have some questions in mind before we design and conduct experiments. So normally such a design will include, for example, the parameters, how long the cells need to be cultured. And once we reach that time point, we'll stop the experiments. And after finishing the experiments, suppose we, we get the answers for the questions we like to study. But it doesn't mean that there's no benefit or there's no benefit at all or there's no new information that potentially can be generated for continuously culturing the cells. Is it possible to recreate the environment like of a mother's womb outside of an actual mother's womb to like support a fetus? It's possible, in fact. It is possible. In fact, um, you should know that the earliest viable births for embryo, human embryo. Now it's about 21 weeks and they, they can be properly supported 
in what we call artificial worms. So there are ongoing research activities, people trying to develop synthetic in vitro culture systems, try to promote, help the preterm babies to grow as normally as possible. Could you do this from the very start, like um, even before the pregnancy has started, like it hasn't begun in the womb yet? I don't know the, I don't know the answer. I think we have very limited understanding Going back to my comment, we have very limited understanding about human development itself. I wouldn't say we are 100% sure. So we don't even know whether a human, a human embryo needs to be completely embedded in the maternal uterus for its complete growth and development. We don't really understand the developing fetus or the developing embryo in the maternal uterus. What are the signals, factors? The embryo is perceiving from the maternal uterus, allowing the ut- uh, allowing the embryo to grow continuously. But if we have such knowledge, complete set of knowledge available, and if we can recapture all the signals in the lab on a cartridge dish, then I wouldn't exclude the possibility that in the future, a human embryo can develop completely outside the wall, which, but we just need to have that knowledge. As it is currently, I don't think we have all the knowledge ready to grow some stem cells into a human being in a culture dish. And so kind of like dead end, because you can't move past it? No, I wouldn't consider this as a dead end, because research is always, it's, it's like a, it's uncharted territory. You go in there for you to do more research. Right, it's more like open space. It's almost like you open the door and the room is so big and you start to explore, trying to understand. So it's not dead end. Yeah, so like, are you actively trying to explore this open space or? We are, yes. And obviously, and going back to the motivation, right, uh, for, this, for this conversation, and you mentioned that uh, neurotube defect. And obviously, again, we're generating models and different models, trying to use human stem cells in the dish, trying to understand, for example, how different cellular events, how they contribute to proper embryonic development. And obviously these models also allow us trying to understand how genetic mutations or chemical exposures can potentially lead to developmental defects these are fundamental questions, and we still don't have a lot of understanding, very limited understanding. In general, we have very limited understanding about how human body works. If you did manage to make humans, living humans, out of the stem cells, um, would they have birth defects like spina bifida or no? <laughs> Again, first thing first. Well, I don't think any scientist will be willing to make any significant or specific effort trying to generate human embryos mm. or human beings from human stem cells. But the knowledge that can be generated by studying the stem cells and using them to generate models of human embryos, the knowledge can be very useful to prevent, for example, birth defects like spina bifida. And second, maybe people can use, for example, stem cell-based models use such models to generate, for example, therapeutic uh, approaches to, to alleviate or maybe even reverse the disease phenotypes. 
So these are the biomedical benefits that I think scientists are, are more excited uh, to work on. If you took an animal stem cell and you somehow made it into a living animal, um, if you could do that, would that help? Well, for sure. If you can demonstrate, for example, using animal stem cells to generate, for example, a complete viable embryo or fetus for the animal and outside the, the normal um, uterus environment, and obviously that's the, what we call proof or principle demonstration. Obviously a very, very important milestone to suggest the feasibility that similar approach can be applied for human cells. In fact, scientists are pushing to use animal stem cells and to generate synthetic animal embryos and further try to promote their growth to see whether such synthetic embryos generated completely with animal stem cells can develop into full-term. So if you knew that you could develop like a synthetic animal or human embryo, would you? like? Are there ethical boundaries that you couldn't cross? No, I think this is a great question to ask. And let's assume that the stem cells we're using, and the human stem cells we're using, as I mentioned, that they do have the potential to develop, I would say, to differentiate into all the cell types in the human body. I think it's very easy to understand and agreeable that we should not grow human beings from human stem cells in the lab on a culture dish. So like the embryo could grow even when you're not trying to make it grow? If you continuously provide them the, the cells with growth factors, soluble factors, chemicals, they can potentially grow, right, continuously. And how we can prevent that to happen? Because naturally, I think sometimes students or researchers are conducting experiments without any bad intention. But since the stem cells we're using, they do have the potential, right? And how we can prevent the unintended consequences to happen. And such consequences can be really bad. There are a few things we can do. First is to properly terminate all the experiments, right? Within reasonable time frame. That's one thing. And second, and we know that the stem cells, as I mentioned, that we're using in the lab, they have the potential, but we have knowledge in terms of what are the factors can be used to drive their differentiation, turn that into specific cell types. Because again, the human embryo contains many, many cell types. So which means that we can control the differentiation or the, the development events in the culture dish in the lab by supplying the cells with suitable soluble factors, right, chemicals, to make sure that they only develop along certain passes that we like them to develop. If let's say the baby, if let's say the embryo did grow in the future, if it became a human, what would be some consequences? These are great questions, in fact. In fact, obviously, this goes back to the origin of the stem cells we use. When people donated these stem cells for basic research purpose. They donated these cells, not for human reproduction. They donated these stem cells in the, in the hope that these stem cells will be properly used by scientists to study, for example, human biology and disease. They're not hoping that scientists in one day can potentially use these stem cells to grow human babies. What if we can grow human beings just from stem cells cultured in vitro in a dish? There are a lot of consequences, right? 
in fact, uh, this this whole field there are a lot of interesting, well, I would say, important bioethical implications. This is a very debated area. This is a term people are trying to use, right? We play God. That's not how it should work. Are there like people that are like publicly um, opposed to your research? They are yes. In fact, uh, you should know that the stem cells we're using, many people are not even happy with with the fact that scientists are using the stem cells for even basic research purpose. Part of the reason is the st- this stem cells we're using in the lab. To develop these stem cells, people have to destroy human embryos to obtain these cells, because these cells are extracted from early human embryo. So, like babies. Well, they are they are early human embryos, not babies. Okay. To obtain these cells, people had to destroy natural human embryos. Like willingly, or was it? Well, I wouldn't say willingly, but. This goes back to the history of this the stem cells. These are what we call human embryonic stem cells, and they are derived by obtaining the cells, extracting the cells from early human embryo that were donated by couples that somehow generated these human embryos in in vitro fertilization facilities. They go there, they donate their sperm and egg, and then somehow through in vitro fertilization procedures. There are natural human embryos can be generated in those facilities, but oftentimes there are surplus human embryos because not all the in vitro fertilization procedure generated human embryos will be used for implantation, and oftentimes those surplus human embryos, most of the time, are banked. They are stored somewhere, and they will never be used. But for certain couples. Oftentimes they decide, okay, they want to donate these human materials for basic research purpose. So they donated these human embryos, this IVF human embryos for research purpose. Now, obviously, scientists they can obtain, retrieve some of the cells in these early human embryos, and they find a way to culture them in the lab on a culture dish, and these are what we call human embryonic stem cells. Um, have you done any other research related to human stem cells? Um, well, I would say let, let, let me put it this way more specifically. I think our research, for example, we have been generating, we have been using human stem cells uh, in the lab, developing models relevant to your tube development. So obviously, uh, very relevant to uh, spinal bifida and the your tube development lays the foundation for human central nervous system. Human central nervous system, including the brain and the spinal cord. So we are really trying to understand how the neural tube, which is the precursor for the central nervous system, how it develop properly. For example, how certain part of the neural tube eventually will become the brain, where the other part will become the spinal cord. So we are trying to understand these developmental events, and this is one one project ongoing in the group. And we also have other projects where we are trying to understand how human stem cells, as I mentioned, that the preportin epiblast cells, for example, once the human embryo implant into the maternal uterus, they start to differentiate, organize. I would say they start to lay the foundation. We call body plan for the developing fetus. So basically, eventually, I would say the epiblast cells, these preportin epiblast cells, they differentiate, organize. Then, 
they generate the body axis. Okay? Then soon after, the primitive organ rudiments, they start to develop through intricate genetic programs and intricate cell-cell interactions, interactions among the cells. So we are trying to understand the dynamic developmental events involved in what I just described. Hope you're not as lost by the scientific jargon as we were. It was definitely the most embarrassing interview from Maya so far. Zachary, you should pay more attention in biology class so we can sound more intellectual in our next high-tech interview. We asked Professor Fu for inspiration and advice, and here's what he said. One thing I think uh, it's very important to, for the younger generation now to really understand how STEM benefit, impact the whole society. And uh, then it would be great if the younger generation students, the young kids, they get exposed to STEM, the excitement in STEM as early as possible. It's not just like maybe some kids, they are very good at math and physics, they choose to do STEM. But I think it's also very important to make sure that every young kid, they understand how STEM can impact the whole society. And I'm also hoping that the younger kids, they have they will have better chance to get exposed to, to some research, basic research activities as early as possible. I think they should actively seek research opportunities and go from there. Thank you so much for doing this interview. <laughs>